to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. Good to see you. It's great to be back in Tucson. As Tyler talked about recently, it's hard to be away from home, from the people that you love, from the house you live in, from the rhythm of life that you've chosen from the place that you've made your home. And there are a lot of great things about Tucson, like the university, the mountains and the scenery, the great restaurants, and the weather, which I appreciate. Not everyone does, but I enjoy it. And I was reminded how much I love the weather after spending a week and a half in Tampa, Florida. Now, even in the fall, the humidity in Tampa is terrible. Um, Almost every time I was outside, I felt like I was sweating like a pig. And apparently, the humidity in Florida has spawned many a meme Let me share a few of my favorites with you. Ah, yes. It's so hot outside here. Have some rain. Just kidding. Now it's humid and your shirt is stuck to your body. You would think that a little bit of rain would help. You would be wrong. It does not help. It makes things miserable. Okay, let's see the next one. Yeah, so hot. Even the air is sweating. Everything sweats in Florida. Everything. Okay. Maybe you think Florida sounds like a good place for a vacation in the summer. It is not. Go in one of the other wonderful months, like fall all the way through spring. Beautiful times. Not the summer. And finally, let me assure you, there is no need to actually travel to Florida. You can experience Florida in the comfort of your own bathroom. (laughs) For more exciting Florida memes, you can go to floridamemes.com. It exists. Now, Florida was recently hit by Hurricane Irma, perhaps you're aware of that, and tons of people evacuated. And while I was there, I was surprised um, that at least the area I was in seemed relatively untouched. There were a few down trees and a lot of tree debris gathered kind of on the end of the yard to be hauled off. But if I didn't know that a storm had just hit, um, I wouldn't have even noticed. I wouldn't have thought there was anything unusual. And apparently in Florida, there are people whose whole job is to come check out your trees and evaluate whether they will survive a storm. And if they won't survive a storm, you cut them down so that they avoid falling on your house and making damage worse, right? So people, the whole job, evaluating trees. In fact, the family that Megan and I stayed with had cut one such tree down right before the hurricane came because someone came in and said, oh, this tree, it's got to go. It's not going to survive the storm. It seems like Florida is pretty used to the weather challenges that they experience. Now, Florida may be able to weather storms well, but other places were not so fortunate, as I'm sure you're aware. I remember visiting New Orleans uh, shortly after Hurricane Katrina. Um, And honestly, it wasn't that short. It It was months later. We went over spring break. The hurricane had hit months before. And I was amazed that there were whole areas um, there that had been totally untouched, that had just been destroyed and not not cleaned up in any way. Um, The devastation was amazing. And right now in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands and many others, they're facing similar sorts of devastation. In fact, there's a missions door missionary that pastors a church targeted at attics in Brooklyn called the Recovery House of Worship, who's from Puerto Rico. And shortly after the hurricane, he went down there. And this was what he posted two days ago. Um, He shared it with my dad, so that's how I saw it. I'm on the ground here and I'm formulating a team. We've been providing water and food and other basic living essentials. People are desperate. If you are serious about helping the people of Puerto Rico, here's a sure shot. I'm here on the ground making sure that people get the supplies they desperately need into their hands. Go to 
R-H-O-W, which is recoveryhouseofworship.org, and give as generally, generously as possible. I'm here on the ground setting up to help as many people as I can, and I can't do it without you. I need to raise the money ASAP. People are not getting supplies like everyone thinks. You can help now. So I literally just saw this post yesterday. And if you remember my message for a couple of weeks ago, when there is a disaster, immediate relief is an important and needed response. I've met Raymond personally. We stayed at his church when we were in New York on a service trip a few years ago. Um, and if you've been considering giving to the need there in Puerto Rico specifically, which is a part of the United States, if you were unclear on that, um, then, then perhaps this is a good way to get it to someone who's connected with Missions Door, who's who I work, work for and other staff here work for, um, and they can actually help people in need right now. So no, no pressure at all, but it's one of those things that's been on my heart. And after being in Florida where I thought, at least the part I was in, and then I know a friend that was in Orlando and other areas, you couldn't even tell something had happened. There's nothing like the pictures I've seen of Puerto Rico. Um, perhaps that's a way you can get involved. Uh, make sure that supplies are getting to the island that was not prepared for the storm that came through. And it's not just literal storms that people aren't ready for. It's the storms that life throws at us as well. The ruined plans, the financial struggles, the loss of friendships, the failures, the health scares, and the unexpected deaths. And I can tell you that I was not ready for my mother's diagnosis. And a year ago, I could not have imagined that my mom would be with her Lord and Savior today um, in heaven. I'm grateful for the time that I had to say goodbye. And I mourn not as someone who has no hope. um, But it's still incredibly difficult. And while we may be experiencing a storm right now, my family, um, you have probably faced a storm as well. And you will continue to face them because that is how life is designed. Most of us don't pray for challenge or ask to be broken or invite disaster But God can do incredible things in and through us after we've weathered the storms of life with his help. And this is what our whole series, Into the Storm, is about. It's about the life of Elijah, a man who went into the storm, was changed, and was used mightily by God. So we're going to dive in this morning. We'll see how God shaped this incredible man into a true man of God through the storm and learn how he can do the same thing for us. So, Elijah, who is this fellow? Well, Elijah was a prophet of God during one of the most ungodly reigns in the history of Israel. Now, as a prophet, Elijah spoke for God often in extremely hostile environments. Now, most of the words of the prophets in the Old Testament are not predicting the future, as we tend to think prophets, prophecy, it's all about the future. Most of the time, the huge percentage is not that, but it's rather reminding the people of the blessings of following God. And the curses and natural consequences of turning away from him into sin. And sin is where the nation of Israel was when Elijah comes on the scene. Now, after the time of the judges, there was a reign of three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, the three kings of united Israel. But after Solomon, the nation of Israel split into two. Judah continued to be ruled by a descendant of David and was made up of only the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And if you recall the end of Judges that we talked about, the tribe of Benjamin had had been almost wiped out. So it's not not many people there. Israel, on the other hand, is made up of every other tribe of Judah and had a smattering of rulers. It wasn't necessarily a continuous line. People killed. There were assassinations. Different people rose to power. It was not the best place in the world. And the worst leader 
that Israel had at this time. His name was Ahab. And the Bible tells us he was more evil than any king before him. There was terrible idolatry and injustice that occurred during Ahab's reign. The pinnacle of which is something that God hates and he he talks about in the Bible. is child sacrifice done to appease pagan gods. This is one of the pinnacles of evil that we see in the Old Testament. We're going to sacrifice my child so that the gods will look favorably on me. Ahab was significantly impacted by his wife Jezebel, who is singled out as particularly evil in the account of his reign, and whose name is still synonymous, according to Merriam-Webster, with an impudent, shameless, or morally unrestrained woman. Still today, thousands of years later. Now, Elijah's hand, on the other hand, has a very different meaning. His name is a compound of three Hebrew terms. El, referring to God or Elohim, which is the first term used for God in the Hebrew Bible in Genesis. I, which is the personal pronoun, and then Ja, which is the first syllable of the holy name of God that's revealed um, to Moses of the burning bush, Yahweh. His name literally means my God is Yahweh, which is pretty awesome. So into this situation with Ahab and Jezebel, God sent one man named Elijah to take a stand. And the truth is, he may be calling you to take a stand where you are. It's not always the armies that get the job done. More often than not, it starts with one person taking a stand for justice, for truth, for purity, for love. And this is Elijah's story. Verse 1, First Kings 17. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, remember, my God is Yahweh, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So in response to Ahab's ungodly leadership, the first time we see Elijah in the Bible, he announces that there's going to be no rain. In effect, he's saying that God is shutting the economy down. Without rain, the crops won't grow. The livestock won't drink. The whole nation will be thrown into disarray and drought. In some ways, it's a little bit like life in Puerto Rico right now. No electricity. You can't get gas. You can't get money out of your bank. There's no job to even go to. Everything is shut down. Except in this situation, in Elijah's time, help wasn't coming until something changes in the hearts of the people of Israel, and specifically the leaders, Ahab and Jezebel. Then Elijah will say the word and the rain will return. And after this pronouncement, what do you think Elijah does? He just threw down the gauntlet. He took a stand for God. He said, no more. God will not stand idly by while this nation descends into evil. He's calling you back for your own good, for the good of the people. Turn to God and live. That's the goal of the prophets, to see people's lives change. Well, Elijah runs and hides. That's what Elijah does. After his bold stand, he heads into the wilderness. Why? Well, Elijah certainly knows that this sort of pronouncement is probably not going to go over well with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. In fact, his life is probably in danger. But there's more to it than just that. This is what the text tells us. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kirith brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So God takes Elijah into a specific time of hiding. Why? Because God is forming a man after his own heart. He is forming a man of God, and that process involves God's slow work in Elijah 
before he can do great things through Elijah. Elijah goes to the Kirith Brook, or the Kirith Ravine, as other translations say. And Kirith means to be cut off or to cut down. And the inclusion of this name is not an accident. It's not just to give us the location that he was sent. God is going to shape Elijah during a season of isolated pain. Elijah is by himself, kept company by his God and the occasional raven. He fears for his life. The land he loves is in a time of drought, and he's being broken so God can reforge him into a man of God. In this season of isolated pain, Elijah can be molded, shaped, beaten into the shape he needs to take. God will do the slow work in Elijah so he can do great things through him later. Now, all of us have faced times of isolated pain. And if you haven't, you will. And in these moments, God can develop a deep well of character in you if you let him. But this is the sort of thing that can only be forged in the storm. For me, the deepest period of pain in my life was the three months after my first wife told me that our marriage was over. My first wife, Liz, had had a year-long affair that I was totally blindsided by. She helped start this church. She was instrumental in us moving to Tucson in the first place. But there had been years of deception, and my heart wasn't just broken. My whole future had been shattered and irrevocably changed. And I didn't tell anyone close to me, not my family, not my best friends, not anybody in this church, because she swore me to secrecy, and I foolishly agreed because I was trying to save my marriage. I was in an intense period of isolated pain. Everything I thought I'd known had been turned upside down. I was so emotionally distraught that I couldn't eat, and I lost 30 pounds. But every day, God was doing something in me. I was turning to him. I was crying out to him, relying on him when I had no one else to turn to. And he was there carrying me through, faithful to me in a way that I desperately needed after the unfaithfulness I'd experienced. And he revealed his love for me through people who had no idea what I was going through. And now, years later, I am different than I was because of this season. Because God will not waste our pain if you let him do a work in you. He will do something great in you if you let him when you're in the storm. James says it this way, the brother of Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. But when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The truth is, if you knew me then and you know me now, I am more patient and empathetic than I was. I understand relational and marital dysfunction in a way that I never could have without this experience. I've known incredible pain and can mourn with those who mourn and identify with the broken because I've been broken. And as God restored me, he brought me to a place of love and joy in spite of my past and my circumstances. And I would go through it all again to be where I am today, to have a wonderful wife, a healthy marriage, a beautiful boy, and another one on the way. But I had to go through Kirith Ravine to get there. 
I had to go through the storm. Some of the time we can only grow when we go through the storm. Perhaps you've met people that you think have incredible faith and you've wondered how they got to that point. You've longed for the peace that they have in spite of their circumstance and the assurance and faith they have in God. When you encounter someone who has great faith, I can promise you that they have been through the storm more than once. They've been to Kirith Ravine. They went through the storm with Jesus and they learned of his faithfulness. They learned that God works everything for the good of those who love him. They learned that God can redeem any situation. And you can learn it too. But it's not an easy thing to learn. God is not in a rush. He will develop you and it will take as long as it takes. But when you lean into him, it can lead to where it leads for Elijah. It can lead to a life that's used greatly for God. Brennan Manning encourages us to trust and hope in God through this challenging process. Hope knows that if great trials are avoided, great deeds remain undone, and the possibility of growth into greatness of soul is aborted. We can grow our souls like Elijah does, but it often starts with a time of isolated pain. It starts in Kirith Ravine. Now, during Elijah's stay in the ravine, Elijah is completely dependent on God. This is verse 5. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped beside the Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. So during a time of no rain, he sends Elijah into a place where there's water and even miraculously provides food as well. This is a season of complete dependence that Elijah's entered in. God provides what Elijah needs day by day. He isn't given abundance. He's given enough for that day. And God teaches Elijah a vital lesson. It's the same lesson that God taught Israel when he sent just enough manna for each of those leaving Egypt and no more. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. He is a God of enough. He had enough water and enough food. And God will give us enough as well. After the end of my marriage, I couldn't talk to my friends or family. So I found a few trustworthy people I could talk to. There was a great counselor and there were a handful of men who I bared my soul to. I didn't have an abundance, but I had enough. And I processed my grief and pain with them and most importantly with God, and over and over again, I would cry out to God, and he was faithful to me. He met me in prayer. And the Bible promises us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He was close to me through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through this community, even when they didn't know what was happening, and through the people who knew my pain. I had enough, and I was wholly dependent on him. Maybe you're in a season where something you used to trust has let you down. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your history of academic success. Maybe it's your friends who turned out not to be friends at all. Whatever it is, I can tell you that God is entirely trustworthy. He met me in my pain, and what I had trusted in turned to dust. And he can meet you in your pain as well. There is one person who will never let you down. 
and his name is Jesus. Take your pain and your need to him, and he will be faithful. He will provide. He will give you enough. For Elijah, without God, he would have been lost. He would be thirsty and hungry without hope. But with God, he had enough. God even sent him meat to eat. Not just bread, meat. Instead of having to subsist on what he could gather, instead of having to resort to vegetarianism and bugs, God sent him meat, which I think is a good argument for meat, right? I don't know. It's pretty glorious. Now, I guess, you know, God delivered it by beak and by claw, right? Um, Because it was with the ravens. Now, I thought, I don't know if you're like me, I kind of thought that ravens and crows were basically the same. Um, But they're not, which is good for Elijah. Because one of the main differences between ravens and crows is that ravens have much larger beaks. So that means more meat for Elijah. How awesome is that? Now, interestingly, many people are aware that a group of a group of crows, a group of crows is, is known as a murder. Did you guys know this? A murder of crows, right? It's super cool, so you probably heard that before. So there's a gaggle of geese, there's a pride of lions, there's a pack of wolves, there's a murder of crows, right? But do you know what a group of ravens are? I just found this out yesterday. This is super weird. A group of ravens are an unkindness. Yeah, an unkindness of ravens. I'd never heard that before yesterday. But for Elijah... These black birds now known as an unkindness or a murder reveals God's loving kindness to him and gave him life in the Kirith ravine. Incredible stuff. Then something crazy happens. We get to verse 7. But after a while, the brook dried up. for There was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Whose fault is that? It's Elijah's fault. He said there wasn't going to be any rain. Now, God sent Elijah to the ravine where there was water and food brought by these kind ravens, but then his lifeline is cut off. He's in the Kirith ravine. He's been cut off. The brook dries up. What in the world is God doing? This is where he told Elijah to go. Has Elijah not been broken enough by this situation? In this instance, God is moving Elijah to where he is supposed to be next. When the brook dried up, it was time to move on. And while God can open doors... And guide us in many ways. Some of the time he guides us by what he doesn't provide. Pastor Craig Rochelle explains, God, the same God who gives water, may cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to take a step of total obedience. Sometimes we need to be moved out of our comfort zone, motivated to take a step into a new adventure that God is calling us to. And sometimes that's through an open door opportunity, but other times it's through discomfort and pain and a closed door. Elijah didn't have any more water. He had to move on. And he was ready to enter a season of unconditional obedience. When the things you've depended on have failed you, when times become very hard, some of the time God is preparing to move you to the right place, to right where he wants you to be for the next adventure. Because without that pain or challenge, you would have stayed right where you were. For Elijah, it was a move to a place where God would work mighty miracles through him. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So Elijah arrives in Zarephath. And he meets a widow that he humbly asks to give him food and water. And if you think about this, he's been without food and water. He had to travel to this place 
Elijah is probably starving and dying of thirst when he arrives. The widow tells him, yo, dude, you're not the only one suffering here. Perhaps you didn't notice there's a drought on. Um, In fact, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. I only have enough oil and flour to make one last meal for my son and I before we die. That's a kind of depressing response. In the face of this terrible situation, Elijah confidently declares that God will provide that the oil and flour won't run out, even if it looks like it's going to. Why? Because God has forged a great faith in him through a season of isolated pain and complete dependence. He knows that God is faithful. He has just experienced it. He knows that God is able, and he trusts that God sent him to the town to live and not to die. And God did provide. Every day, there was enough for them to eat. Because Elijah serves the God of enough. But that's not the only miracle that God would do through Elijah and Zarephath. In spite of the food, the widow's son grew ill and died. In her grief, this is what the widow said to Elijah. Oh, man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? That's, that's rough. Uh, but Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms. He carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying. He laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy on this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. Side note, uh, this sounds kind of weird, right? Like he stretches himself over the body three times. Um, I don't know what's going on here. Um, the truth is, like, there's never been any instance of anything like this up to this point. In fact, this is the, well, I won't get ahead of the story. This is kind of the first time something like this is happening. I don't know why Elijah decided to do this. What I can tell you is that three is a significant number in the Bible. It's a number of wholeness and completeness. Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days. Jesus rose again on the third day. Perhaps it's a reemphasis of this significance. The Bible tells the same story again and again, reminding us of God's faithfulness. Perhaps it's a, it's a story of three. I don't know why Elijah did what he did. What I do know is that the Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. The first resurrection to ever occur in the Bible was performed by God through Elijah. But first, God molded Elijah during a time of isolated pain. He shaped him during a season of complete obedience, or dependence, I'm sorry. And he prepared him to be completely obedient, even in the face of a hard situation. And when the work was done in Elijah, God worked powerfully through Elijah. But first, God had to do the slow work in Elijah before he did the great work through Elijah. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Elijah was truly a man of God and ready for everything that is coming next in this incredible story that we're exploring. Before he faces off with hundreds of pagan priests, before he prays for rain, before he encounters God in the sound of sheer silence, before he's taken to heaven in a chariot of fire, Elijah is shaped and molded into the man of God in the Kirith ravine. Elijah went into the storm and he came out a changed man. And you can too. 
So not all of you are close personal friends. Some of you are new. Um, so you, you may not be totally aware. Um, but my mom died yesterday. Um, and it was not unexpected. We knew it was coming. That's why I was in Tampa. She was in her deathbed for a little bit longer than we thought she was going to be. Um, but what caught me off guard and moved me significantly yesterday was my youngest brother's post about it on Facebook. Um, for those of you who don't know my brother, um, he's had a pretty challenging faith journey. Um, like he went to school here because um, my parents were willing to pay because they knew that Brad and I were here, and then he would come to church because, you know, I'm the pastor, and what's he going to do? He's got to show up, right? So he came, um, you know, but I, a certain amount of that was probably obligation and guilt and knowing that mom and dad would probably quit paying for school if he didn't show up, right? And he graduated and left and hasn't been connected to hardly anything since then. Um, that is until mom got sick. And for the last six months, he's been going to church. He's been going to a small group, which he never went to. He's been reading his Bible and praying for the first time in a long time. Um, and I read his post yesterday with tears in my eyes for my mom, but also for my little brother, who God has done a great work in during this storm. So this is what he said, for those of you who didn't see it. Earlier this morning, my mom lost her battle with pancreatic cancer. It's been a very difficult nine months, but it's also been a time filled with love and memories that I will cherish for the rest of my life. I'm so thankful God blessed me with such an incredible woman as my mother. She served the Lord wholeheartedly and had an unwavering faith in Christ that I longed to have. She was the strongest and kindest person I've ever known. She always supported and loved me unconditionally, and she was a great example of what to look for in a future life. I'm thankful that I'm a part of a family that knows that death is not the end of her story and that she is in heaven with the Lord where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, and no more heartache. Thanks for everything, Mom. You mean so much to me. I love you. This is not a post my brother would have written six months ago or a year ago or five years ago. He's quoting scripture whether he even knows it or not. You know, the storm has changed him for the better and will continue to do so if he lets God do a work in him. And God can do the same thing for you if you let him when you're in the Kirith regime. God will develop in you a deep well of faith and a character that can only be forged in the storm. And this is one of the beautiful things about the broken world that we live in is that God knows that this is how life is, that the storm is coming because the world is broken and I am broken. But he uses those moments for our good and to make us into people of faith that we could not be without them. Remember how James says it, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So let's become men and women of God who've been to the ravine and been remade by a loving Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we know that this world is not how you intended it to be, that the brokenness of sin infects everything. It's in our hearts, it's in our world, it's in the natural disasters that we experience. But we also know that you will not waste our pain 
if we let you reshape us during that. And as hard as the hard times are, we know that great things can come from them. And, and we want to believe that. We want to be people of faith. We want to trust you when things are hard. So help us to fight through the doubt and the struggle and to lean into you and to lean into the people that you surrounded us and trust that you truly are a God of enough that will work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We love you very much, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at DamascusRoadTucson.com.